0: Thanks for being here today, and thanks for lifting me up this past week as I prepared for the message here in Titus 2. Hopefully all of you had a chance to read this passage before this morning, but if you hadn't before arriving, and you initially listened to it as Michael read it, I want to tell you right up front that this is probably one of the most practical teaching in the entire Bible. Why, you ask? Because every single one of you can benefit from these scripture verses today. Older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and for everyone in general as we consider servants of God who desire to be obedient to the Lord. Now, I normally don't begin a message quoting a commentator But I thought this summary of what is going on in our world today as contrasted to what Paul is teaching in these first ten verses is so well laid out that I want to read them by way of introduction. And the source of this is taken from the Christ-centered exposition commentary. So I quote, We live in a culture that is drowning in genuine confusion. The lines have become blurred and many are groping about trying to understand what it means for a man to be a man and a woman to be a woman, what it means for a man to be masculine and a woman to be feminine. It becomes perfectly clear that the cultural engineers that dominate our media, our educational system from preschools to universities and other strategic places of influence want to neutralize if not eliminate the gender distinctions and differences God has created from the beginning. This is the consistent drumbeat heard again and again, and unfortunately the church has not been immune to the scenario. Practicing homosexuals are now ordained as pastors. Divorced ministers continue in places of service, as if nothing significant occurred when their marriage covenant was broken. Women now flock to seminaries and fill pulpits across this land, declaring their liberation from the writings of the Bible. The church is being shaped by secular culture more than by sacred scripture. Let me repeat that. The church is being shaped by secular culture more than by sacred scripture. Never has the church needed more desperately to hear the words of Titus 2 1 through 10. For well, this passage makes God's plan, God's assignments, and God's roles for men and women in the church plain and clear. Unquote. As I read this, it reminded me of 2 Timothy 3 1 5, which we studied several weeks ago. And that says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. We're living in perilous times. Perilous in my Bible indicates that apostasy will characterize the final days of the church age and we are certainly seeing apostasy today. The verses go on, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent or without self-control, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady or reckless, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. (coughs) Then those four words from such turn away. These verses reflect well with Kent's conclusion and where we left off last week. So if you look in your Bibles to Titus 1, verse 16, it says, they profess that they know God but in works they deny Him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate or disqualified. If there was ever a time for sound doctrine the time would be now. Just as Paul was instructing Titus back then about the importance of biblical doctrine and standing up to the false teachers of the day the same holds true for all of us as we too must adhere to And remain faithful to sound doctrine in the times we are living in. So with that introduction, the title for today's passage is simply, Sound Doctrine for God's People. So let's pray, dedicate this service to the Lord. Father, thank you for this passage. It's so practical, it's so applicable in the times we live in. Just pray that you would open the hearts of each one here. Thank you for what you've taught me and how you've convicted me. I pray that I'd be able to expound on this passage in a way that people would not only understand, Lord, but they would really put to practice and apply it in their lives. Lord, I just pray as we sung these various songs that you would be honored and adored here today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I actually broke this passage up into five sections. So we're going to read verses 1 and 2 as the first section. So follow along in your Bibles as I read. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. I called this first section God's assignment for older men. I want to begin by saying a few words surrounding verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. In this verse, speak literally means teach. Titus, teach the things that become sound doctrine. As Kent shared from last week in chapter 1, Paul has issued a warning to Titus to beware of the false teachers that had crept into the church. Those that may profess and call themselves Christians But in reality, they fall into the category of false teachers and hypocrites. There's a disconnect between what they claim to believe and how they actually live their lives. The Greek word teach used here is defined in a way that implies teaching by living out your life through example. For it uses what they call a present tense verb, meaning living by example should be taking place all the time, 24 hours a day. That should be our example. The word for sound in the Greek is hygieno, and it's where we get our word hygiene from. It means something that is healthy or whole or fit. And then lastly, doctrine can be summarized simply as God's roadmap for the Christian life found in the scriptures. So if you put these words together... It means Titus was to instruct people in the churches to live their lives in such an example that the deep truths of Christianity, the doctrine, would be seen to be attractive to others as they demonstrated the power of the message of Jesus Christ. Just as 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Teaching Sound Doctrine. It reminded me of a road map. Now for many children, I was going to ask, if you're under 10, you've probably never seen one of these. This is what they call an atlas. (laughs) And before times of technology, this is what you used. It has every state in here, maps, roads, highway numbers, this is what Barbara and I used for all our family vacations way before the app came on your cell phone and you just followed what they said. However, in many cases, I've been using the app and the lady says the destination is on your right and it's not where I'm looking for at all. <laughs> so the al- analogy is to please make sure you're using the right Roadmap in life the Bible for that's the only way that leads to sound doctrine so let's get into the body of our text verse 2 Paul first addresses the aged men or those that I would consider older what is the definition of old well if you're 20 30 sounds old if you're 30, 40 sounds old. If you're 40, 50 sounds old. If you're 50, 60 sounds old. If you're my age, I'm definitely old. But the commentators, it's kind of a mixed as to what would be the definition of age. Some say 40, some say 50, some say 60. So for this, we'll just use a reference of 50 it's not hard or fast as I said but this is what we're going to use for this text today there is a list in fact in these scriptures there is lots of list that we'll go through today particularly I want you to think about the age section you fall into how does this apply to you aged men we will address you first you are to be sober. Not given to excessive highs and lows, self-restrained and sensible. In the King James, this aspect of being sober is included in almost every list we go through today. Old men, old women, younger men, younger women. Sober is a key thought. Self-restrained and sensible. Whether he is eating or Drinking, sleeping, spending money, or engaged in any activity, he keeps a firm hand on his desires and drives. Self-restrained and sensible. It brought back a memory from my past where I wasn't self-restrained and I wasn't sensible at all. It was when I first started seeing Barb. Her parents invited me over to their house for dinner. I was about 19 at the time, was living in an apartment, not eating the best at all. So to go to her house for a home-cooked meal was a delight. Her mom made brisket, and I ate a lot. I mean, I was full to the brim. What I was unaware of was that when my family was growing up, we never had dessert, ever. And then her mom brought out this wonderful dessert. Instead of saying no thanks, I'll pass. I ate all the dessert as well. And I will assure you, I was absolutely miserable. So miserable that we went to the library to study, she studied, I laid in the chair and moaned for two solid hours. I was so miserable. I was not sober. I was not self-restrained. I'm certainly not sensible. Secondly, the age men are to be grave. It means reverent and dignified. At first glance, you may think, men, you don't smile. You don't laugh. You aren't joyful. And no, you're not to join the grumpy old men's club. If you didn't know this, in Wichita, Kansas, there is a group of guys Old men that are called the grumpy old men. In my interactions with them, they are grumpy. <laughs> this is not what this verse is about. Being grave means quite the opposite. It means that the aged man is living a life such that everyone respects him for his wisdom and years of experience, both in the church and outside the church. Thirdly, temperate describes an attitude of mind that leads to prudence and self-control in a life. It is the opposite of carelessness that is based on ignorance. As one author said, serious of life and purpose are important in the Christian life and especially to the older saints who cannot afford to waste time for their time is short. And then lastly, sound in faith and charity and patience. These all go together. The older man should know what he believes, and his convictions should be founded upon God's word, a sound doctrine. For it is through sound and healthy doctrine that encourages a growing faith in God and demonstrates love and patience towards others. One pastor summarized this well when he said, Such men should have the discernment, discretion, and judgment that comes from walking with God for many years. They control their physical passions. And they reject worldly standards and resist worldly attractions. They refuse to be conformed to this world but are transformed daily by the renewing of mind bathed in scripture. Exactly what Romans 12.2 says. And be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So older men... This is God's assignment for you. Second section, verse 3. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. God's assignment for older women. Paul now addresses the aged women and God's assignment for them. Notice... The word likewise here implying that the older women were to have similar qualities that parallel the older men plus these additional ones listed here with the first one being to be holy. Her behavior must reflect holiness or reverence suggesting her conduct demonstrates that she belongs to God and that her life has been reserved for worshiping and honoring him. Just as 1 Peter 1 says, be holy for I am holy. Secondly, aged women, to be truthful. These older women were to be the opposites of false accusers or malicious gossips or slanders, for these types of sin cause great destruction. I found it interesting that the Greek word here is diabolos, the word from which we get our English word devil. A mature woman in Christ is not devilish in her speech, picking up gossip and then spreading it abroad instead the aged woman or for that matter any woman should have a control or governor on her tongue when she speaks she speaks the truth and she speaks it in love she is not a talebearer as proverbs 20:19 says he that goeth about is a talebearer revealeth secrets therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips thirdly be temperate, not given to much wine. The original language here is very strong to not be enslaved in any way to alcohol such that it owns, dominates, or controls. And given that this is also a qualification for appointing church leaders, alcoholism must have been a severe problem back then, just as it is for many, many people today. However, it is, of course, certain and undebatable that if one never takes a drink, one will never have to worry about drunkenness and all the misery that follows. The bottom line here is being temperate. In being temperate, it's essential in being a godly leader, a godly example to those looking on. And lastly, be a teacher, a teacher of good things. The word good it's from the Greek word kalada askalos, and is unique in light of what follows. For in verses 4 and 5, the setting for this teaching is not only to show by example, but also with the informal, one-on-one, small group instruction whereby these older women take the initiative and pass on these biblical truths to their younger spiritual sisters. Several years ago, Elizabeth Elliot, and I'm sure all of you know who Elizabeth Elliot is, But she wrote an article entitled, Where Are the Watts? She was moved to write the article after speaking to a group of pastor's wives and discovering that 80% of them were working outside the home. The question Elizabeth asked is simple and to the point. Where are the godly older women who are to teach the young mothers how to manage their children and homes? Where are the Watts? the women of Titus 2. Younger women desperately need the role modeling, teaching, discipling, insight, and practical wisdom that the older women can provide. And I'm so thankful for all of you older women here who really are these teachers of good things to our younger ladies. So older women, this is God's assignment for you. Now, young ladies, we move on to your assignment as we read verses 4 and 5. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. God's assignment for younger women. What are these good things? that the older women are to teach the younger or other translations say admonish the younger, still others say encourage and train the younger interesting enough this list for the younger women it's the longest of all the lists here in this section of scripture and it begins with be sober self restrained and sensible the ESV says self controlled Or another word uh, that commentators use is the word wise. I found that interesting because over the years that I have um, been alive, I've witnessed many, many young ladies who have not been wise in their endeavors and exposed themselves to, to fatal temptations instructions here are to be wise, be sober, control your desires, control your emotions. Secondly, to love their husbands. No doubt Paul was addressing in this section of scripture more the married ladies, but um, I think it's applicable for all you single people as well. As you think about loving your husbands if and when God gives you a husband. Paul's first was concerned that a woman's first commitment on being under the lordship of Jesus Christ was to her husband and her marriage. The Christian home was a totally new thing and young women saved out of paganism would have to get accustomed to a completely different set of priorities and privileges. A good description of this kind of love is what I would call unconditional acceptance. In other words, accepting and loving your husband despite his faults and sins. The Greek word here is phileo, signifying emotion. So loving your husband emotionally and endeavoring to please him in all things. I will say here, though, that while Paul calls for young women to demonstrate love for their husband, the conditions of Ephesians 5 apply such when a husband's loving leadership is devoted to serving his wife, that inspires the kind of love and respect that makes it a delight for a wife to love her husband. The two go hand in hand. Thirdly, to love their children so they can see Christ. For all you ladies young and old, it is probably given that nothing could be more natural than for you as mothers to love your children. Yet for some mothers that Paul was addressing, there was no maternal affection whatsoever. Sadly, that is still happening in our world today. There's no maternal affection. Mothers feel that children are a bother or they they tie them down. In other words, children keep them from selfishly doing what they want to do. Thus, they end the pregnancy. Or the child is brought up in a home where there is neglect and there's no love whatsoever. Thankfully, Psalms 127 tells us that children are indeed a great blessing and a heritage from the Lord. And certainly the most important way a mother can cherish and love these blessings is to love them in a way that they see Christ's love for them. For as a mother loves them physically, emotionally, educationally, morally, socially, and spiritually, a mother's main focus should always be on their need for Christ. Well, there is no greater joy for a mother than to witness her children walking in the truth. Fourthly, to be discreet. Similar to sober and temperate, self-controlled is the idea contained in this word. In the footnotes of my Bible, it defines it as modest and decent, implying the need for humility and quietness. It's been said that there are more young people ruined by pride than any other sin think why is that typically young people have this thinking that they know it all thus pride resigns in their heart and it's that pride that can ruin them yet when young women actually learn to be discreet as they see it modeled in the lives of the older mature women it's a thing to be treasured modest discreet next to be chaste <clears throat> God calls for a young woman to be chaste rather to remain pure and above reproach in every area of her life if married she is to be known as a one man woman and be forever faithful to her husband or a single committed to purity in her days of singleness number six to be keepers at home Simply put, this means your heart is at home and you love caring for the needs of your home by being a good homemaker. Proverbs 31, which we've studied many times, teaches that a diligent homemaker is involved in a wide range of activities and interests, but she is certainly not lazy. Instead, she is busy in her own home serving the Lord and her family. Seven, to be good. In essence, this can be defined as kind and gentle are gracious and merciful even to those who may not treat her the same way. It reminds me of Peter's message on Wednesday of forgiving your enemies just as Christ has forgiven you. Can you be kind? Can you be gentle? Can you be gracious? Gracious and forgive others when offended? That is to be good. And then lastly, to be obedient. To their husbands. We covered this some um, in number two, but a one word definition that could be applied here would be submission. For many wives, this may seem unfair that shouldn't a husband and wife be equal? I would say that, contrary to popular misconception, there is no inferiority in submissiveness. We see this very clearly in the Trinity itself the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all equally God and yet each has a role. Such it is in marriage as they are di- there are different roles for husband or wife. In a spiritual leadership, the husband takes the lead. Unless a husband asks his wife to do something unbiblical, illegal, immoral, unethical, she is to follow his leadership, and in doing so, she will be honoring God and his word. So young ladies, let me ask you, Why should you follow these assignments? Well, for one thing, this is sound doctrine. God instructs you to. But don't miss the last sentence here in verse 5. That the word of God be not blasphemed. Like older men and older women, younger women are also objects of scrutiny in a watching world. Paul reminds them that the credibility of God's word is at stake. While non-believers may not obey the commands of God, they do understand the inherent link between belief and behavior among believers, and they expect the two to match. In essence, what Paul is saying is that hypocrisy is like blasphemy. So be faithful to the Lord in all your ways. So younger women, this is God's assignment for you. Last Sorry, second to last, verses 6 through 8. Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of contrary part may be ashamed. Having no evil thing to say of you. This fourth section is God's assignment for younger men. Again, as Paul turns his attention to young men, he uses the word likewise. He encourages Titus to likewise exhort the young men. And Titus, do it by example. You set the pattern of good works that these young men can follow. Don't be like the scribes and Pharisees in their hypocritical ways as pointed out by Christ in Matthew 23. Who say one thing, but do another. Instead, instruct them by being a pattern of discipleship that promotes the following things. And here's the list for young men. Be sober-minded. We see it again and again. Sensible, self-controlled. Proverbs four twenty-three says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep thy heart. Older men, older women, Young women, young men, I cannot stress the importance of keeping your heart in control. The battle is raging. Satan loves to get hold. Don't let the enemy have victory in this area. As the saying says, garbage in, garbage out. Don't let the garbage in. Secondly, as I already mentioned Titus, be an example a pattern of good works. The Greek word, for example, is where we get our word type. Titus was to be a type or model which others can follow. Young men need strong, healthy role models provided by older men. And again, older men, I'm so thankful for the testimony and the role models you are here for our younger men. Thirdly, be sound in doctrine by showing uncorruptness, integrity, by showing gravity and reverence, by showing sincerity and seriousness. I remember years ago in a different church setting, an older man who was in leadership at church, a man that I highly respected, shared some things with me that were very worldly and very ungodly, one-on-one, and I was shocked. this was a man who was a role model at least I thought who was sound in doctrine I thought but he was just the opposite and quite a detriment to my spiritual life be sound in doctrine we have to be sound in doctrine 1 Timothy 2 Timothy 1 Timothy 4.12 says let no man despise or look down upon thy youth but be thou an example of the believers, in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Be sound in doctrine. And then fourthly, be sound in speech. So sound that it's beyond reproach, such that your opponent will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about you. As one commentator stated, a pure word from a pure vessel is not subject to legitimate condemnation or criticism. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Younger men, this is your assignment from God. Well, our fifth and final section, verses 9 and 10. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. God's assignment for servants. Our final segment today deals with slavery. A topic that surely reveals the true depth and breadth of the total depravity of man. Treating those made in the image of God as a commodity to be bought and sold is a blight on the human race and demonstrates just how wicked the human heart can be. In the first century, one out of every three persons became a slave, and one in five in other territories was a slave. A person could become a slave as a result of being captured in a war, default on a debt, being sold as a child by destitute parents, birth to slave parents, conviction of a crime, Or just kidnapping and piracy. One would have thought that with the spread of Christianity, slavery would have met its demise quickly. Unfortunately, that was not the case. But it was abolished. And praise God. It is in these verses, these two verses, Paul warned these Christian slaves about three common sins they must avoid. First, disobedience. They were to obey their masters and seek to please them. which which means going the extra mile. No doubt it's possible to obey, but not with a genuine heart. For as Ephesians 6.6 says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Secondly, talking back, arguing or complaining about his master would certainly be a poor testimony for a Christian slave. And then lastly, stealing or purloining it would have been easy for a slave to just take little items and then sell them and then just report to their master that they were broken or lost. And why were these slaves to avoid such sins? So that they would be demonstrating trustworthiness or showing all fidelity to their masters and in doing so, as this verse concludes, would adorn the gospel of God in all things. In other words, a slave who did his job well would be a testimony to the grace of God and the power of the gospel. Now, while there are no slaves in our society today, the parallel could easily be drawn to employees as servants. Therefore, such principles as being obedient to their superiors, not talking back through arguing or complaining, and certainly not taking small things from your employer, that would would certainly be stealing. It was interesting that as I was preparing, I read this article the Wall Street Journal put together that was a, a pretty startling fact. It said in the workplace there was no significant difference between churched and the unchurched in their ethics and values on the job. Now, one could argue that a lot of the people in the survey class this churched weren't really true Christians. But be that as it may, in the questions asked during the poll, it was surprising that those so-called Christian workers were just as guilty when it came to calling in sick when they weren't sick, talking badly about their boss, or using company supplies for personal, personal use. Such results would certainly lead one to believe that Christians are leading double lives. I remember several years ago when preparing a tax return for a Christian couple. This couple was very outspoken about the Lord and yet they wanted to do something that was very unethical leading me to tell them that I can't do your return and I don't know who they got to do it so I found out firsthand that the double life of hypocrisy does exist and I know it exists in the workplace for being in my job for 41 years I've seen it many times this hypocrisy saying one thing but doing another therefore all of you who are employees whether you realize it or not your workplace is a primary mission field if you are not consistent in honoring God in your attitudes and actions on the job you are definitely setting a poor example in adorning the gospel of Christ and in most cases you are acting as a stumbling block to your other coworkers who are watching your responses Commenting on this verse, Spurgeon writes, the life of a Christian servant is to be an ornament of Christianity. Christ does not look for the ornament of religion to to the riches and talents of his followers, but to their holy lives, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. So servants of God, this is God's assignment for you. Well, we have covered a lot of ground And I trust, as you thought about your group, that you could really visualize and better yet apply things that you could really work on in your life. Remember, though, it's not us. It's Christ working through us. That is the only way that change happens. I close with the same statement I began with at the start. If there was ever a time for sound doctrine, the time would be now. Older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and every one of you who are servants of God. Listed here in this passage are God's assignments for you. May you, may I be faithful in adorning the gospel of Christ in all our endeavors. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. I think of Paul sharing this with Titus and then Titus had the responsibility to carry this out and I, I thank you Lord that it's not just by words it's by example I think of how we are examples in this world we live in and how important it is that our example be totally in line with what the scriptures say the sound doctrine for others If they see hypocrisy, it just makes them shy away from any words of the gospel. So help us be true examples, shining the light of sound doctrine in all that we do and say. I just pray this in Christ's name. Amen.